Art, specifically paintings, is something that I have begun to enjoy a little more over the last few years. And uh, I've had the privilege, and I'll call it absolutely a privilege, uh, to be able to lay my eyes on some of the greatest paintings uh, by some of the greatest painters that we've had. So I've been able to see some Picasso, some Monet, some Van Gogh, some Da Vinci, and it's, it's, it's just stunning. It's beautiful. Uh, but there is one, uh, still one, who uh, I, I would argue is the greatest artiste we have ever beheld uh, that I've yet to lay eyes on a painting in person uh, of this. And what I'm talking about is one of the most prolific and exquisite painters of our time, and that is Bob Ross. <laughs> now, as a kid, I grew up uh, with Bob Ross entering into my living room on the weekends on PBS uh, as he would paint a masterpiece from start to finish right in front of our eyes during the time spent of that program, right? I mean, his gentle spirit, his steady hand, his masterful mind, it all just was so entrancing, right? And it would blow my mind how every time he would begin with something that seemed so kind of blah, like a blob of paint, would begin to transform it over time into something absolutely stunning. And this morning, what I want us to discover is that we have a God who is like an artist, one who is taking our grief and our loneliness and our despair, and he's working something beautiful out of it. And while he can see the end of the result, and we can't always, we can trust him with that, trusting that he's always at work, working something beautiful to its completion. So good morning. My name is Hunter Upton. I'm one of our pastors here at our South Haven campus of Getwell Church. Glad that you've joined us for worship this morning, uh, especially if you're our guest. We're glad you're here. hope you get a little bit of my humor uh, this morning. If not, hopefully you leave with something so much greater uh, than that. But we pray that you receive something of being here uh, this morning. So we're continuing in our summer message series uh, called Justified People, where we're looking at stories of various Old Testament folks about how God is taking their lives on a journey and bringing about redemption and justification in it. And for a lot of our characters that we've looked at uh, so far this summer, many of which we would hold up and say that they're kind of heroes of the faith, right? But what we've realized over the course of so far of this series is that they were people, ordinary people, just like you and I. Ordinary people just like you and I, that God had a design and a plan and a desire to work in their lives. And friends, that's the same truth that is for us today. In our day and age, God, even though we are ordinary people, we're not just people. We're people who he's taking and he's working and he's redeeming and doing a work that only he can do. And so that's our hope over this series is that we would understand that. Now this morning, we're going to lean into a story that's uh, very familiar to many of us. Now, whether or not you've actually heard this story, I think that there's a lot of it that will resonate uh, with what you've experienced in your life. And we're looking at the story of Naomi. And this was a, a woman who lived in the time of the judges, which was a very dark period of life uh, for the people of God, a very dark era. Uh, but we find Naomi's story in the book of Ruth. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Ruth, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, but what we're going to discover is that Naomi's life was filled with uh, absolutely unimaginable pain and sorrow. But we're also going to see how she was on a journey of trusting God, the great artist, with her life. So if you've got a Bible or a device you read from, Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. 
So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Naomi and her husband Elimelech, and I'm just going to point out that Elimelech's name means God is king. I want you to hang on to that for a little bit later. So Naomi and her husband, they go with their two sons uh, to uh, the land of Moab. Why? Because they've experienced famine. So all is great with their life, with their world. All is good at home until there's this famine in the land. Then all of a sudden, they find themselves as foreigners. They've ever, they're having to leave the promised land, the land that God had given them, the land that was flowing with milk and honey, to go to a foreign land, not the land that was their home, right? Uh, so not only do they find themselves uh, outside of their home, they're in a foreign land. Now, Naomi's name means pleasant. And very quickly, we find that Naomi's story goes from pleasant to difficult, Right? But it doesn't take long that all of a sudden the circumstances begin to change even more. Naomi's story moves from difficulty to tragedy very quickly. Let's look at the very next verse, verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malan and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, if you've ever experienced loss in your life, it really doesn't matter how much time has passed, does it? Doesn't matter. This is more loss than anyone should ever have to experience in that short amount of a time. See, Naomi, she's lost her two sons. She's lost her husband. She's lost the ones that she loves. Not only would her heart never be the same because she's lost her loved ones, but her security is also at risk because there's not anyone there to provide for her anymore. Remember, she's in a foreign land. And now since this story is in the Bible, we would expect for it to go something kind of like this, but it's okay. She trusted with God and everything became better, right? And that's oftentimes what we hear in the church, but that's not always what is true. It's not what happens. Everything was not better. And instead of better, Naomi becomes bitter. Story continues and we find out that Naomi, she, she hears that the famine back in Bethlehem has, has eased up. And so she starts to weigh, is it time to go home? And she decides it is. And she thinks that her chances of survival are greater there anyway. So she tells her daughters-in-law, she says, hey, I want you to remarry in Moab and, and, and be happy here. God, God bless you in that. Uh, that's the best thing that you can do. And so as you know in the story, uh, Orpah, she does. She stays in Moab and she remarries. But famously, we know that Ruth tethers herself to Naomi and goes with her. So let's pick up with what happens next in verse 19 of chapter 1. So the two women, that's Ruth and Naomi, they went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away a fool, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Remember, that means pleasant. 
The Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Here we really get the feeling of Naomi's depth of her grief, right? She tells people, don't call me pleasant any longer. I'm not pleasant. Nothing is pleasant in my life. I'm bitter. I'm bitter. I'm hurt. And she blames this bitterness on God. Do you remember what she said? She said, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Friends, it's easy for us to look at the hard and the heavy and the hurtful circumstances of our lives and interpret them as if God must hate us. That's, that's so human nature uh, for us. But what we have to realize is that there are moments in our lives when we'll be upset and mad and even disappointed in God, but it doesn't catch him off guard. Y'all, our God is big enough to be, to be able to handle those emotions. So here's the point. I want you to hear me. is that it's okay to be angry with God, but you don't have to stay there. It's okay, but you don't have to stay there. See, our anger, it doesn't change who God is. He's still the same today as he was yesterday and he will be tomorrow. And that means that he's going to continue throughout our, all of our journey to invite us deeper and deeper into a relationship with him every single moment of the day. He's always inviting us for him to meet us where we are at to show us more about what he's doing than what we'd understand if we just shut him out for good. See, God created us with emotions and feelings. We should feel those. We have those, but those, should, those feelings should not be the end-all, be-all of our relationship with God and with our journey in this life. And I don't know if you called it, but in the text, Naomi calls God the Almighty. And the word there, the name for God there is El Shaddai. And whenever you use the term, the name for God, El Shaddai, what it does is it emphasizes his strength and his sovereignty. See, Naomi was bitter, but she still hung on to the fact that her God was sovereign, that her God had strength. This was the God that she had always known. This was the God that she had always heard about. See, the God of Naomi was bigger than her life was more than her mind could comprehend, was mightier than she ever could be. Naomi's God was the king of the universe. Do you remember um, her husband's name? God is king. She leaned into that. And so my question for us this morning is, is your God? Is your God king? Is your God that big? That even when you're bitter, even when you're angry, even when you're disappointed, even when you're in the middle of despair, that God is still king. Even though she was mad and bitter at how her life was turning out, she understood that God still had complete control over this world. And I don't want you to miss this, is that our feelings and emotions, they don't cancel out the truth that we can trust the great artist, God. Y'all, we can trust him. We may feel this. We may think this, but the truth is, is that God is still a great artist who's at work. See, trust, though, is, a, is an action for us. Uh, it's not just a thought. It's not just a good intention. It actually takes literal action for us to do. 
I think about this morning, you all are currently sitting down, correct? When you came in, you trusted in a way that this chair was going to hold you up, not that you just looked at it and said, oh yeah, that's, that's a good chair. You're actually sitting in it. So at some point, you took the action to trust that the chair was going to hold you up. The same is true of our trust with God. Until you actually place your life in his care and in his plan, you have not trusted God. You can trust him. You can trust him. Now, at this point in the story for Naomi, Naomi and Ruth both are widowed and have a very bleak outlook, right? Uh, They're making it back. They've left now where they have been. What they need is a redeemer. They need one who can save them from their loss. And here's the thing, though, is that God has already been at work. They might have noticed it yet, but God has already been at work. If you look back at verse 22, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, I didn't look this up to see how long it takes from barley to go from uh, the seed to germination to finally the harvest time, but it took a little time. It may have taken more time than it took for them to leave Moab and return back home. But God was already at work. And those six little words, as the barley harvest was beginning, show us an artist at work. A sovereign God who cares. And the point is this, is that God is always at work, even when we cannot see it. God is always at work, even whenever we cannot see it. So we've got to come to a place where we realize that God is doing things that we don't fully understand. He's doing things that we can't fully see just yet. See, Naomi, even though she was bitter, would begin to benefit from God's work that he was already bringing about. So the women, they settle in Bethlehem and they begin to glean from a field. And yet, here's yet another way. Not even just the fact that God had had this barley begin to grow and they would begin to glean from the field, but it's the fact that they would be able to glean. Because hundreds of years, even before this point, God had made a law that you were not to harvest the edges of your field. Why? For those who could not provide for themselves. Even long before Naomi experienced any loss in her life, God was making provision. Let's pick up in the story beginning in chapter 2, verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth, her mother-in-law, about uh, told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place uh, she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. She said, "The Lord bless him." Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, "He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead." She added, "This man is a close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers." Then Ruth, the Moabite, said. He even said to me, stay with my workers until they finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it would be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. 
So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Was it just a coincidence that Ruth ended up in that field that day? No, it was not. It's the work of a sovereign God. He had placed this man, Boaz, specifically for the purpose of being their redeemer. And a redeemer, this guardian redeemer that scripture talks about, it's a close relative who was responsible for redeeming, for providing uh, for a family member that could not provide for him or herself uh, to help get them out of a crisis. But not only does, uh, does Boaz provide food for them, what we find in the story of Ruth is that he actually marries Ruth. He does the work of redemption. And what this does is it provides permanent provision for Naomi and for Ruth. See, Naomi had this desperate need for redemption and God met her in that. And I'm sure that while she was in Moab, Naomi probably had no idea what God was going to do, how he was going to work this all out. And I'm sure that there were times when that despair, that loneliness, that grief, that sorrow probably weighed so unbearably upon her. But Naomi had a God who was at work redeeming her from that loss, even when she couldn't see it. And he does. And he does. The beginning of the story went from difficulty to tragedy. But the end of Naomi's story moves from redemption to capital R, redemption. I want you to hear these words from the end of chapter 4 of Ruth. The Lord enabled Ruth to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And get this, they named him Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Naomi had left Bethlehem full, all to return empty. But now God would fill her again. See, God provided something truly unexpected in her loss. She had a grandson. Ruth had a son. And this son would become the great-grandfather of one of the greatest kings that Israel had ever seen, King David. That's not just the part, that's the fun part. It's that if you can go all the way to the New Testament... You find that in that family tree, in God's provision, in the sovereignty of this good God who's at work, this artist who's painting a picture better than we can even understand, is that Jesus Christ, God's own son, the one who would redeem the world, comes from this family. You can't tell me that God's not at work in every little detail. Friends, Naomi's story shows us this, is that because God is sovereign, we can trust him. Because God is sovereign, we can trust him. Now, I don't know where you are this morning in your journey with grief, your journey with loss and, and despair. I don't know if you feel bitter, if you feel lonely, if you feel lost, if you feel angry, if you feel sad. 
I don't know if you feel like you've been carrying around a weight that just seems so unbearable, you're not sure how you can face tomorrow. I don't know if you're weary, if you're worn out, if you just say, I need some rest. I want you to hear Jesus' invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Friends, this is a promise given to us by God's Son because he loves us. It's a promise for us to hold on to. It's a promise for us to step into. Jesus doesn't say, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and it's just all going to go away, and life will be so much better, and all this and that. No, he doesn't promise that, but he does promise us rest. I don't know if you're like me, but I need rest. And I want you to hear this, is that come what may, our hope and rest is found in Jesus Christ alone. The other day I was listening to the radio and there was a song that came on, the, and this has just stuck with me uh, ever since then. But it's the song, Come What May, by the Messengers. And here's, here, here are the lyrics that stuck with me the most. And I pray that they become an anthem in our lives as we really lean into this promise of Jesus. The song says this, In every high, in every low, on mountaintops, down broken roads, You're still my rock. My hope remains. I'll rest in the arms of Jesus, come what may. Come what may. Friends, we live in a broken and fallen world, and there are things that happen to us that honestly we wish wouldn't. Our bodies will fail and give way. Nations will rise and fall. Whatever it is, Our only hope and stay is Jesus Christ. We can search this world and we can look at everything that it has to offer and we can try to find rest in this world, but friends, we never will. It's only found in Jesus Christ. And this promise that Jesus makes, it's not based on us. All right, it's not based on how much we love him because here's the thing is that we are not ever going to be able to love him as much as he loves us. It's based off of God's love for us. And I came across this quote this week that I want to share with you that really illustrates this. Is that our confidence is not in our love for him, which is frail and fickle and faltering. But it's in his love for us, which is steadfast, faithful, and persevering. All because of the love that God has for us. Our story isn't guaranteed to be daisies and butterflies. But it is guaranteed to have the greatest ending that you ever could imagine in life eternal if you've placed your your trust and your life in Jesus Christ alone. See, we can't redeem ourselves, even from our loss. We can't fill our lives up with more things and somehow think that that's going to take the place of what we've lost. We can't just throw away our sin and be like, well, I'm going to fill it with a whole bunch of other things. No, friends, if it's not Jesus, it's never going to fulfill If it's not Jesus, it's never going to redeem. He wants to offer you and me that relationship with him today. 
I want you to hear what Paul has to say about this hope and this confidence that we have. Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. God is at work doing something greater than we can understand. And it's not in today, but it is in what is to come that we place our hope and our trust. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. And elsewhere, Paul says that one day he's going to come and bring to completion that good work which he has begun in us. Friends, we're weary, we're burdened, we're worn out. We carry grief and despair that is sometimes unimaginable. And our God loves us and he wants to carry you. We look forward to a day, a day when one day the the kingdom of God will be firmly and eternally established and we will get to live in all the goodness and wonderfulness and beauty that that kingdom will behold. And we find these words uh, toward the end of Revelation where we hear about this kingdom and this just gives us a glimpse of what that day is going to be like. Revelation 21.4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And we, we experience a whole lot of those things, don't we? For the old order of things has passed away. Friends, we are looking forward and the hope in Jesus and the kingdom that's coming that God is going to redeem it all. That's the God that we have. No matter what the present holds, we can trust in God and his perfect love and that he is writing a story, a story greater than what we can even understand right now. And we can trust him in that. Now think back to Bob Ross. Think about those happy little trees that he would paint. Think about the story that they could tell of how he took their story and he started it and then he brought it to a beautiful completion. Same is true about our lives with God. It's that he takes our lives, no matter what the difficult circumstances that we find ourselves in, that God is at work redeeming so we can trust in the great artist. That's God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are the great artist. And Lord, that we don't have to write our story on our own. And Lord, that oftentimes whenever we are angry, when we are bitter, when we are finding ourselves in just a a moment of unbelief, God, that you are still sovereign and you are still who you are. So Father, I pray this morning that wherever we are in our journey with you, Lord, that you would help us to not stay there. Lord, I don't know whose truth that needs to go to today. But Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would work in our hearts and in our minds to lean more and more into a relationship with you. Lord, seeing from the story of Naomi, just your provision, how you're working, Lord. Lord, give us hope and help us anchor ourselves to Jesus, the only one who can redeem. Lord, we thank you for the hope of everlasting life when you will wipe away every tear. And Lord, when that old order of things 
has passed away and Lord, the new has come. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we trust you. We pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. In just a moment, we're gonna sing a song of response. I wanna encourage you to sing along. I wanna encourage you to pray. I wanna encourage you to respond however God is calling you to this morning. But I do wanna invite you, you're welcome to come and pray at the uh, rails up front. You can pray in your seat, grab a friend. You can grab one of us at the altar as well. And we would love to pray with you. But now's the time. This is a moment that God has given us to respond. You know what that response is. Let's lean into it. Let's stand and sing together.